Tell me, Mr. Gitz, does this often happen to you? Asked Evelyn. Jake replied, What's that? Well, I'm judging only on the basis of one afternoon and an evening. But, uh, if this is how you go about your work, I'd say you're lucky to, uh, get through a whole day. Jake replied, Actually, this hasn't happened to me in a long time. Recognize this quotes movie? Stay tuned to find out or check out the title of this episode of Talking Pictures Trivia. Welcome to Talking Pictures Trivia, the podcast in which a group of geographically challenged friends explore movies through trivia as an excuse to keep their friendships alive. I'm one of these friends and today's host, Nick, and with me is... Tom. Additionally, joining us as guests this week are... Ragnar. Steve. Thanks for joining us. Ragnar has joined us for eight episodes, such as A Quiet Place, House, and Parasite. Steve has joined us for The Englishman Who Went Up a Hill But Came Down a Mountain. Ragnar and Steve conveniently still like movies. For those joining us for the first time, we start off each episode with a movie quiz, as these pivotal questions will determine who earns today's trivia crown. In round one, each question is worth one point, and in round two, each question is worth two points. Then, once the fierce competition is over, we follow it up with our famous movie rant where anything goes. Tom, tell us about today's film. Today, we are preparing for the new movie, The Batman, by going back to 1974. Muhammad Ali and George Foreman have their rumble in the jungle, Stephen King releases his first novel, Carrie, and the Sears Tower becomes the world's tallest building. During all of this, Roman Polanski's movie, Chinatown, was released in theaters alongside The Conversation, Dirty Mary, Crazy Larry, and Death Wish. Matt Reeves, the director of the upcoming movie, The Batman, has said that Chinatown was influential and Batman in The Batman will be returning to his detective roots. Wait, so I, I didn't know The Batman is going to return to its detective roots because I saw a trailer where he was getting shot by multiple machine guns and he's like, da, 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 da. That listen, a lot can happen detective. in three hours. Okay. <laughs> well, I a will say very Chinatown. Yeah. Matt Reeves. I mean, Batman was a detective, right? De DC true, detective. True. In the animated series for sure. Yeah. And apparently Matt Reeves has said one of the big influences for him going forward was Chinatown. He wanted to make okay. a kind of Batman version of it. So I hey, thought I'm instead of doing, yeah, it's uh, which sounds great to me. I I can't wait to see Catwoman sh explain her daughters and sister think to Batman yeah, and yeah. they get shot in the head. I, I, maybe it's just incest. It is a detective. <laughs> <laughs> he was referring to incest. <laughs> we, we completely misread it. Oh, no. <laughs> Nick, if you had one word to describe Chinatown, what would it be? Hot. Ragnar? Sad. Steve? Haberdashery. <laughs> and my word would be meaningless. Oh, no! <laughs> it's time for question one. What is bad for the grass? Uh, done, or whatever the word was, I forgot. Locked in. <laughs> Locked in. <laughs> Locked in. <laughs> uh, you usually, yeah, you usually say that before you leave. Done. <laughs> Locked in. I am locked in. Steve, what do you have? Salt water. Okay, Nick, what do you have? 
I also have salt water and I will not be using an accent. Okay. And Ragnar, what do you have? I will be using an accent. No, I'm just kidding. I Salt water, of course. Salt water. Yeah. Okay, very good. Points for everyone. Set off with an easy one. And I brought this question forward because I think this is one of the great Los Angeles movies, both in the, in its look. I mean, so many Los Angeles movies, so many movies are set in Los Angeles, and Los Angeles doesn't look like anything. It's just sort of two-story building sprawl. Um, but this movie actually grabs Los Angeles as an aesthetic. And in part of that is the look. Um, and also I think it's the, that it's buried in Los Angeles history. The, the water wars of the, the first two decades of the 20th century are very important as is water for, you know, understanding that that part of the country. Life. <laughs> yeah, and, yeah, right. right. <laughs> um, and I wanted to talk about the kind of, um, the setting, the both historically and aesthetically. I'm going to go a little bit off topic because I think you want to talk within the confines of the movie. But one of the things that really jumped out at me is I find it interesting when a movie in the 70s depicts the 30s. A lot of times movies, when they go back, it just doesn't feel right. And this one did feel right to me. So it's, it is part of your aesthetic inquiry. <laughs> But it was just oh, yeah. saying that I, I did feel like I was seeing something that was in the 30s or made in the 30s, not made in the 70s to look like the 30s. So I, I think that was mm -hmm. pretty cool. I would say directly to what you had just said that, and I also had have just visited there, the one thing this movie does for people that don't know is it reminds you how dry Los Angeles is. The fact that it is essentially an irrigated edge of a desert. Um, and it really, not just in the main parts or where they're, um, in, in those Rocky, but even that when, whenever you see wherever the scenes are, right, there's the rich house, the enclave, the, the, you know, the little pool, but whenever you're going up and down the street and, and the, and the the pitch that's given in court in the or in that hearing in the beginning, right? The streets being taken back by the sand there, they hit that home. And um, I think that that really gives you a sense of Los Angeles um, in that way on the edge of the desert there. Yeah. Chinatown really captures the city and makes it become a character uh, like few movies before or since have done. Uh, it reminds me a lot of Vertigo, what Vertigo did with San Francisco, mm -hmm. which was really captured the city and it's, it's on you, my list. <laughs> no, it really is. It's on my list. You should watch it because it captures San Francisco as 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 one dreams it, you know, as one thinks of it. And, and and Chinatown did that. Not only not only was the productions and the sets and the costumes, like Steve were talking about earlier, are just out of this world but it truly makes it a character. The part of LA, uh, Chinatown, it is alluded to like, a, like an off-screen character that only comes up towards the end. And, and I really can't name a movie off the top of my head that has grabbed a place and truly made it menacing and beautiful at the same time like this movie does. It's funny you should say that Chinatown only comes up at the end. I was watching this film and I had like 30 minutes left of like, guys, it's called Chinatown. When the heck are we getting to Chinatown? <laughs> I totally didn't understand what this movie was about based on the name alone. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Worth the wait.
Definitely. Yeah, it's a, it's it's one of the great location films. Um and and I think what you were saying, Steve, like it's it's something on the edge of a desert. Remember the description of Los Angeles that I that always resonated with me is that it's just kind of covered with dust. There's just like a thin dust everywhere. It's, it's it's covered with dust, and for people in a lot of the country, and especially if you're from here, from a mid-Atlantic state or the Northeast, instantly the difference is the flora. Even if you're just driving down mm -hmm. the highway, and even if you're in the city. The, the the flora the cactus it's all different and the palm trees which is the <laughs> obvious one and so that's that's resonates mm -hmm. and the way it's handled in this movie you really get a sense of place it's not well they could have filmed this anywhere it just happened to be i mean you it mm -hmm. is a character you know as as mentioned and what's also interesting about the, the setting and location too is that um it's sunlit it's sunlit noir Right, that it's it's the brightest of the noirs. True, uh, it's not in the shadows. Yeah, spot on. Yeah, you're right. Spot on. You yeah, right. and that's um, and I think that's part of what you were saying, Ragnar. Where there's different parts of the city or the city itself that is a character that's sort of also hanging off screen, and I think part of the the historical circumstance, the fact that it's not really based in the the Los Angeles Water Wars, but it's kind of based in it. Um, that that historical circumstance becomes the kind of baroqueness, the kind of maze-like quality that's often given to the city in black, you know, the concrete jungle, or uh, one of those noir films from the 40s that has that more uh, traditional noir aesthetic. Um, you know, Tom, you just brought up something that it just has occurred to me. I've never, uh, I don't think there's another movie where I've seen so much fearful suspense in broad daylight. Mm -hmm. If you know what I mean, no, yeah, yeah. what's in the shadow, what's around the corner. Agreed. Yeah. Um, Agreed. There's these meetings happening in the, in the dry riverbed, in the middle of the sun and all these mm -hmm. other things that are happening that are very dramatic, right? Yeah. Right in the bright, direct sunlight. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's a, it's a complete contrast. I mean, the closest I could think of is there's a movie from 1990 and Arthur Miller noir called Everybody Wins, which is, it's a really good movie and nobody's seen it. It stars Nick yeah, Nolte as the detective. It, yeah. <laughs> um, and uh, it also has a lot of, it has a little more shadows, but it also is like a kind of a small town thing. And it has a small town feel. And it's also another kind of non-traditional look to for, for the noir. It's time for question two. After sleeping together, Jake must follow Evelyn Mulray. What does he do to track her? Locked in. To track her. Mm -hmm. To track her to follow her. Why do you emphasize her? I was thinking of a different scene when he was trying to get information. Ah, gotcha. This is after they slept together. Locked in. I'm going to have to lock in. It's probably going to be so obvious when you guys give the correct answer. All right, Nick, what do you have? He follows her in his car. <laughs> Okay, you, you are not wrong. Uh, actually, I remember uh, this yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> to the Steve. house. Yeah, Smart. with the, with the woman. Mm -hmm. Steve, what do you have? Uh, uh, kicks and breaks her right tail light on her car. Yeah, and Ragnar, what do you have? Indeed, he does break the tail light. Okay, very good. He breaks the tail light. All right, and I bring this question forward. Not so much to talk about tail lights, though. If you want to go there. Uh, I'll stop you. Uh, but I want to talk about the, the main characters. Um, 
uh, Evelyn I'm assuming Moray. I did not get the point. Oh, you didn't know. <laughs> Sorry. It was, how does he trail her? Yeah. Um, and, and Jake Guinness, uh, played by Faye Dunaway and uh, Jack Nicholson, of course. And talk about either the characters themselves, their performances. Um, we have really two arc. I'll leave this off a little bit. We have two archetypes. We have the, you know, the uh, private eye. And I would say fairly standard private eye. He's, you know, maybe with a little bit of a, a lust for celebrity. That might be the kind of uniqueness to him. But um, I'd say even in appearance, pretty standard private eye. Um, and I would say also a somewhat, somewhat more complicated femme fatale, which is the arch archetype that uh, Faye Dunaway is working with for her character. And I was wondering what people thought of these actors taking on or challenging these archetypes. So we're not talking about the original Mrs. Mulray. I really liked the beginning of this. No. I did. I, mm -hmm. I, I liked that hook, like right mm -hmm. from the beginning. And again, maybe it's referencing an older movie like you know we were talking about off screen or I think even last week, but it's, it, I'd like that. It, it, it really drew me into it. And then when you see the, the actual Mrs. Mulray, it, it, it's, it's really impactful. I, I will give Nick a bonus question if he could tell me who is the actress who plays the original Mrs. Mulray or the fake Mrs. Mulray's daughter. But I will, oh, we won't gosh. do that now. We won't what? do that now. No, no, we won't do that. I will say her daughter won an Oscar, but anyway. Moving okay. on. Um, we'll not so look let's at talk about these. Either. Yeah, <laughs> let's talk about these archetypes here. Good luck, Nick. Faye, Faye Dunaway, right? Um, mm -hmm. I, I think the thing, the reason I bring up the femme fatale first is because that's the the mold that Polanski breaks the most obviously, mm -hmm. you know, the the most noticeably. And femme fatale, obviously, noir. You got to have that. And and. Um, Faye, uh, what's her first name in the character's first name? I'm sorry, Evelyn. Evelyn. So Evelyn is the, the obvious choice, and you, and you go into most of the movie thinking that until it's revealed that she's not the femme fatale. Um, if anything, she's the probably only good guy here. You know, the only hero trying to take her daughter away from a horrible situation. Sister daughter. It's her sister daughter away <laughs> from from this guy who's you know obviously a horrible abusive person and the hero quote unquote is messes it up you know he really steps on her plans and and, and essentially ends up uh you know he, uh, he's her demise the ending at this point yeah i mean he it doesn't matter we can yeah yeah okay he you know him interfering in her plans over and over and over again i think leads to her death pretty straightforward if he were to step back if he were, if he would not have jumped to conclusions about the glasses, um, she would have gotten away. Um, so it's interesting to feel like there's a femme fatale. Uh, you, there's even the point where you're like, aha, she's the murderer, but the movie turns on its uh, plot twist after plot twist after plot twist, and she's not the femme fatale you think she is. I thought that was really well done. You mentioned, you led this off with the question about, about him trailing her and about that scene where they sleep together. And I actually think that scene is utterly brilliant. And I'll tell you why. You're talking about sort of trying to figure both characters out. And they're not really going right into the, a traditional groove. And the two of them, first of all, it starts with a very stereotypical post-sex thing with them 
lounging with the cigarettes. Um, you may remember I te texted earlier, nicotine fueled haberdashery. It was my phrase <laughs> for that because of the cigarettes. But then they start talking and there's this little dance and you're really still trying to figure out both of them, what level of evil and goodness in the two of them, because they're telling stories, but they're dancing around the facts. That's when he tells her about Chinatown without really going into super detail. And she gets the phone call and is being secretive, which is why. So, um, so to your point, I think that was a scene that had the promise to let you know where they sat and you weren't, you weren't satisfied. You had to see more to figure out how they fit into those two genres, femme fatale and, and, and private eye. Switching over to Mr. Giddies, I thought it was just interesting that he got the cut on his nose and the scar and the bandages. Like, I just thought that was interesting for a lead character that they would go there. Cause normally like now in films or movies, if, if the character is supposed to be wearing a helmet or something strategically, they have it off all the time. Whereas here they're like, no, 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 no. We're gonna show him get his nose sliced He's going to have a really bad bandage on it. Slowly it'll shrink and then you'll have a, a scar. I, I don't know why that jumped out at me so much as just a stylistic approach to actually having a damaged lead. It also jumped out at the producers who initially insisted <laughs> and not be there. <laughs> yeah, because usually yeah. they're paid for that star. That. Yeah, Jack yeah. Nicholson. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and Polanski really, I think he was fighting with Robert Evans. So Robert Evans is the producer of this. He produced The Godfather Love Story. That doesn't surprise me at all. Hollywood, yeah. uh, you know, execs would not be a, a fan of that. Yeah, uh, uh, famously arrested for drug trafficking. Uh, but he apparently... <laughs> well, that's another story. <laughs> ...wanted to... Um, yeah, apparently I this think is great movies. Yeah, uh, yeah. Well, lo love stories was, was well, on that Godfather. List. <laughs> yeah, um, but he yeah they did not want the that thing on his face because that was like you were saying, Nick. It's you know we're paying for for Jack Nicholson, um, who at this point how much had he done? He did Easy Rider. Most of his best films are still to come, aren't they? Oh, uh, he did. Uh, um... The last detail, and he did. Um, oh, what's the other one where he plays the piano? Five easy pieces. Five easy pieces he had done oh, by then. That was 1970. Yep. Yeah. yeah. So he was a star, but not not a mega star. That's but this was so. But enough to be a lead. I mean, yeah. Nick, wow. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And yeah. Nick, you just brought back a memory for me. I told you the first time I saw this movie, I think I was maybe 13 or 14 years old, I remember having the thought, well, I don't understand it. Is he going to have that bandage on his nose the whole movie? The whole time. <laughs> yeah. I, I remember that being like, I don't, I don't mm -hmm. even, that doesn't make any sense to me. You don't see yeah. that. You really don't see that. I, I don't know. No. Yeah. And it's, it's interesting because he is, he's a damaged guy, of course. I mean, detectives tend to be right. And these, these things that that's part of the cliche. They, oh yeah, they have a chip on their shoulder. Um, but he's also to Ragnar's point, he, and this is something that I picked up in this viewing, not in the initial viewing. He does bungle a lot, right? He mm -hmm. really does lead the villain to the damsel in distress. Um, he also gives the villain all the evidence. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but know, but Tom, he's say. really slick. No, but you know what it is? It's yeah. the confidence. He's really slick about it. <laughs> I mean, he's, he's, he's clearly terrific at his job. He's not. He's not an idiot. 
you know, the way he works the people at the water department is very clever. He's, he knows, um, he knows his level. He knows lowlifes, he knows secretaries, he knows police stations, he knows adulteress, he knows adultery, right? He understands those things. But when you get into this type of world, like there's a sort of- High society. It's, it's not only is it high society, it's also like malicious in yes. a way. They go a different is, way. Yeah, that's more profound than cheating on your wife, which seems to be his bread and butter, right? He busts people and actually presumably actors because this man apparently has something of a celebrity building in Hollywood. Um, uh, you know, he, he gets pictures of the wife cheating or the husband cheating or whatnot. But we're so far beyond that. I mean, it's it's not only are you destroying a bunch of people's lives, there's also like raping your daughter and having a kid with her. And there's this just profound greed. And, you know, it's like he, he it's this guy who's kind of dealt with people who are, you know, inclined to to cheat on their wife and then he meets the devil right <laughs> like he goes up against the devil well and even in the end of the film tom when he's talking to noah cross he's like how much are you worth and he's like keeps up in the number and he's like 10 million more than 10. he's like oh yeah. he's like why are you even doing this and it's just for fun for this guy to like play god almost you know or just yeah. do whatever the heck he wants hmm. well it's crazy tom, i think you nailed it with that because he he knows his level. I think that's perfectly said. He knows his level, adultery and all that stuff, secretaries and, and that. But when he goes up against power, I mean, that this is why Noah Cross is doing it, it's for power. Mm -hmm. um, and when you are playing on those stakes, uh, that level, Noah's going to do whatever it takes. He doesn't care who he has to kill. Um, and, and um, you know, Giddy's is way out of his league here. And the, the scene that really nails it home, it brings it to what you just said, is towards the end of the movie where uh, Faye Donway's character is trying to get away in the car and Jack Nicholson yells out, says, put the gun away, let the police handle this. Mm -hmm. And she laughs at him. She doesn't laugh at him, because she's, but she basically laughs at him because he owns the yes. police. Yes, yes. <laughs> so he looks like a little child in, in you know, like- Don't you get it? Way, actually, <laughs> like, he doesn't get it because mm -hmm. he's playing on a much lower, and that's why he bungles it because he has not gone up against someone of Noah's cross. And, and at the end, I mean, to me, the reason to get Jack Nicholson, the reason to pay him the big money is for his face at the end of the movie. Mm -hmm. When he's being carried away, he is broken. You can tell he had a character arc. He was learning. He was learning to care more and, you know, all that stuff. He, he, he forgoes money that mm -hmm. much higher than what he was offered. And then it happens in Chinatown and he's being pushed away and he's dead. He's gone. He's mm -hmm. gone. Yeah. And and it's Jack happened again. Remember yeah, when exactly. He, and, yeah. and so now that's the realization that wasn't just a one-off. Mm -hmm. Exactly. I just am susceptible to this bungling. And what I tried to make happen, the exact opposite happened. And I actually derailed the whole Exactly. Yeah. Yep. And, and, and that's why I don't like the sequel. Like, it, to me, at the end of Chinatown, he'll never do this again. He's done. He's going to stick to low lives and he's never going to step out of line. That's the tragedy of, of this movie. He was broken. So that's why the sequel to me just doesn't When work did the on, sequel on come out? Like oh, a decade later or something like that. Oh, that's a, yeah. yeah, that's always a sign. <laughs> I used to, yeah. Yeah, yeah. 
Mm -hmm. I used to tell people, see Roger Rabbit, which was a, a, a happy little cartoony <laughs> remake. That's more worth your time than than the two Jakes. Yeah. 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 The, it, and it was directed by Nicholson because Polanski had fled America oh. to that point. Right. Um, oh. It was written by the same. Robert Town wrote it. And it was initially planned as a trilogy. It was Chinatown. Really? This, and then there was going to be one set in the 1960s when Jake was going through a no-fault a no divorce and... Blah, you know, I didn't know that about mystery that. was gonna, but the two Jakes failed so terribly that you know they just decided not to make a make a some movies one. they should just yeah. stop, they're not meant to be trilogies. Then this yeah. is good, yeah. Moving yeah. on, Godfather. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> well, then two, two solid ones, two solid, right? Yeah, yeah, two out of three ain't bad, two out of three ain't bad, but that's another one where there was a big gap in time as well. Yeah, it was the bigger one because Godfather Giant. Also was 89, Godfather 3. But yeah, oh, big wow. Gap. No, there was a big gap. Here we are at the end of round one. And at the end of round one, we have Ragnar and Steve in the lead, tied with two points apiece. And Nick is on their tail with one point. We will see you after these messages. Have an idea for an ad? Is it a fake product? We'll air it. Send us an audio clip of your fake ad, and after it goes through our rigorous and strict reviewing process, we'll fit it into an episode. Don't have an idea for an ad? Make one anyway and send it to fakeads at talkingpicturestrivia.com or call 201-467-8679 and leave a voicemail of your ad. You'd sound really good on radio. This ad requesting fake ads is a real ad requesting you to send us fake ads. Seriously, send us your fake ads. And we're back. We're at the critical point of our episode where we ask the guests a key question. And this one's going to go out to both Ragnar and Steve individually. If you could write your own sequel for Chinatown, what would be the plot? And clearly, it wouldn't be the plot of Two Jakes. If I if I were to write a sequel, which I wouldn't, I would leave this be. But if um, they poured a dump trunk full of cash on my front porch, uh, then I would write a sequel, and it would be about Jake perhaps one last time finding his way to try to do the right thing. Um, I would depict a broken character uh, after the, the the events of Chinatown. Uh, Years later, maybe he has an alcohol problem at this point. Um, he, he gets pulled into an, uh, some kind of mystery. He doesn't want to be involved in it, but something, you know, obviously catches his attention and he goes for it one last time, maybe in a different city. Maybe he's moved on. Uh, and maybe, I don't want to spoil it, but maybe he gives his life at the end of it. Um, but it would be kind of one last shot at redemption. I appreciate how you will not spoil a movie that is just completely <laughs> theoretical, but thank you, Ragnar. I'm waiting for Jack Nicholson to give me a call. Once he, once he <laughs> yeah. Spoiler-free zone here. Mm -hmm. Steve, we're going to flip it back over to you. What do you got for us? Something similar. I would, I would have a period of, to make it established in the new movie that he's been out of this business for quite a while but something that happens to him of a very personal nature um, drags him sort of involuntarily back into having to investigate something, something that um, affects a close friend or a, a love interest. He didn't seem to have much of a family, so that wouldn't make sense. Um, it 
it unwillingly drags him in and um um re even making references to his earlier life and earlier failures um finds a way to to be successful um i'll give away the happy ending uh <laughs> that he he winds up uh maybe being personally damaged or even killed but doing some good and him yeah. ending his life with um doing something good interesting steve, interesting. steve just like the godfather three you know just when i thought i was out they pulled me back in that's it that's mm -hmm. it you got it except no sophia coppola and no george, <laughs> no george hamilton or whatever was you know. <laughs> Uh, and Andy, I think Andy Garcia was bad in it too. I don't care what he got nominated for. But anyway, sorry, Nick. Yeah. I, I think I got a different take on this one. So mm -hmm. my biggest thing, over two hours go by before we even get to Chinatown. So I think my movie, it takes place not too far after the last one. And he's, he, again, we'll give prequel. you the, he's, he's, no, 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 sequel. It's still sequel. It's okay, still sequel. okay. Yeah. So he's he's still a damaged man. But this time, he can't leave Chinatown. He's addicted to dim sum, okay? And he goes from one place to another and he notices that someone stole the recipe, okay? And he's going to figure out who did it. So this is all going to take place in Chinatown. That's I that's the sequel. Oh, that's uh, I I have nothing better than that. <laughs> <laughs> Chinatown movie taking place in Chinatown. That's what I think. I'm seeing like a John Wick meets Chinatown sequel there. Oh, oh, it gets brutal. Those recipes are valued. They, you know, those go down from family to family. Mm -hmm. This is going to be, <laughs> there might be more scars than just his nose, you know? This uh, could get really, uh, really brutal. Mm -hmm. So that's it. Chinatown mm -hmm. 2 actually happens in Chinatown. Colin actually happens in Chinatown. <laughs> <laughs> That's the actual title. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's, yes, that's yes, yes. Title. It's locked in. It's locked in. It happens in title. Spoiler <laughs> alert. Hollywood approved. <laughs> yeah. It, Nick's production company. The title tells you what the movie is about. <laughs> we have common sense titles in my production company. It's time for question three. Where did we first see an emblem of the Albacore Club? First. First see it. Locked in. Locked in. Locked in. All right, Steve, you locked in last. So you have to go first. What do you have? The dumbest answer you will get, but my answer is at the Albacore Club. Okay. Very good. Uh, Ragnar, you locked in second. What do you have? You know, Steve, I don't, I don't think you're wrong, um, <laughs> but uh, it was at, at the docks. Um, when he's going to meet this guy who's going to drive him to meet Noah Cross. Um, you see the kind of the flag waving. I don't know if that is the actual location of the club, but that's where I remember seeing it. Okay, this is great because I'm just combining your two answers. The flag at the Albacore Club, because I'm pretty sure that was the Albacore Club, because why else would they have the flag for the Albacore Club? Oh, sadly, no points are awarded. Oh, it wasn't with the old people. What? It was not. It wasn't with it wasn't the, old, the people. old people. The oh, first okay, time okay. you see the Albacore Club symbol is in the assistant director's office. Assistant yeah. Oh. Yeah. Who, right. who uh, played. I'm saying, oh, but I don't yeah. remember it, actually. Yeah. 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 <laughs> right, that... right behind Jack Nicholson. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it was, it was uh, played by five-time Golden Glove nominee John Hillerman. 
Yes, he was mm-hmm. Magnum wow. PI's boss. He was, yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he was a very successful television actor, um, and also a Detective Connection. Although Magnum PI didn't wasn't on 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 the screen yet, but anyway. Uh, so I brought this up to talk about the kind of the conspiracies and the actual plot itself and how it unfolds. I, I say KJ in our discussions, and we'll just make this public because KJ can edit it if he doesn't like it, um, says he isn't too fond of the plot. He finds it too uh, too cliffhangery, possibly, which since there aren't any cliffhangers in the movie, I don't, I don't quite follow. Um, I think the plot is incredibly economic. And there's also like a, a few mysteries that are kind of layered on top of each other. And what makes it work for me so well is that um, everyone has an alternative um, an alternative motive in what they're doing with the exception of Jake. And it's when you go back and revisit it, it's clear what that motive is at all times. Um, and it all kind of, it's never explained to you, but it's kind of clear by the end. And I was wondering what people thought of, of that plot. It's great to comment on someone's comments who's not on the show because then they can't say anything. Exactly. But, <laughs> I'm going to trash I, I'm going to trash Yeah, no, no. I think the word we were looking for is not cliffhanger, but deep. And that's the same reason I enjoyed this plot. I thought it was pretty deep with some twists and turns, especially for this era. I didn't know they had such complex storylines. I don't, I don't know why I felt that, but I did. And I, I thought it was, yeah, that, that's the word I would use. I just thought it was deep and made me think. Because a lot of movies, you can tell what's going to happen. This one made me really think and be surprised at moments and continue to have to uncover the facts and figures that are going on. Yeah, you know, I, I'm not quite sure what KJ means. Maybe too many plot twists. Um, but I'm going to say something that maybe a lot of people will disagree with me about in regards to the plot. Cut him off. I'm just kidding. (laughs) (laughs) How do you mute him? Uh, uh, And this goes almost pretty much to all noir films. Uh, Who cares? Like the plot, I don't don't care. You know, when I watch Maltese Falcon, which I've seen many, many, many times, the plot doesn't make any sense. It's nonsensical to me in terms of like a very clear, like drama film that has a good plot or an action film. To me, it's more about you watch it for the atmosphere. You watch it for the dialogue. You watch it for the the detective's attitude that no matter what situation he's in, he's always going to give a snarky reply and make fun of somebody that has a gun pointed at him. Um, So yes, I do think the plot is cool. The water, uh, the water kind of like controversy and all that, but the, the film it's just laying that out doesn't even care because in the end it's just like it's just about that moment it's about these moments of character interaction not really about the plot i don't know if that makes sense but that's what it's a more atmosphere and yeah moments rather than yeah it's more about atmosphere than it's more atmospheric than agatha christie right right exactly like a whodunit is about the plot and unraveling it or a Mm -hmm. fantasy film or maybe i'm i don't know you know, it's just about like what, who did what and what happens next. To me, noir is about atmosphere and little moments that make it cool. The birth of cool. I think some, the word I use to describe that, whether it's correct or not, is suspense, sus- being suspenseful. 
So I always find movies make a choice as to what they've chosen to hide from you and let it unfold as they figure it out. And sometimes I'll watch a movie and say, you know, that was a little bit unnecessarily suspenseful. Like they, we could have gotten to the answer of that little part. You know, I thought for me, this movie handles that nice and evenly. We really don't, we first, we don't know about the fact that it's not really his wife that came in. And then we really don't know what her background is. And then we don't, but it's nice and it's steady and it's just the right level. He goes up and visits those farms. He looks at the fact that somebody's buying them up. It's a little bit obvious, but we don't know how it's going to unfold. And I thought that was a natural level of suspense suspense with a couple of gotchas. The sister, right? Daughter, Mm -hmm. sister, daughter, right? Uh, We really didn't know, you know, which way that was going to go. And the thing with the pond and, you know, and I think there were, they were good. I don't. The glasses, um, the glasses. The glasses, right. But, um, and this isn't offending KJ, but I think what, one of his comments was also that everything he had to do, you could do with Wikipedia now. So he's he's holding he's holding them accountable for the fact in 1920 1930 they didn't have Wikipedia in order to look up a lot of these things or the property records we could look up right um, we wouldn't have had to cough while we're tearing the paper you know and as we as we all know uh, you know the internet and even fax machines would have ruined most 60s spy <laughs> movies right mm-hmm. i just wanted to jump on uh, what you were saying you said multiple times we don't know and i think that captures it that is a noir film that is the point we don't know and it's a, and it's for every answer we get there are two more questions and for every answer we get that that is the point that's the atmosphere that's True. the suspense um and 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 the best ones like chinatown and the answers were kind of there since the beginning, if you pay attention. At the very beginning, he says, it's bad for the glass. You know, at the very beginning, you see all those pictures. They're all giving you the clues that you need to not necessarily piece every detail out, but you kind of, get, and you don't until the end. And then you go back and watch it almost like, you know, a my Shaman film or Sixth Sense or something like that. That is why I, I, I think for a plot, this does it great. We don't know that that sentence captures noir i think it's time for question four what is the name of the dead person who just bought the land two weeks after his burial we get one name specifically i don't think anybody knows it locked in ah ragnar maybe nope locked in locked in all right, Nick, what do you have? Mr. Poppy. Nailed it. <laughs> Nailed it. Mr. Poppy. All right, uh, Steve, you locked in. What do you have? I have the null set. I have nothing. I did not remember. <laughs> and Ragnar, what do you have? I have Mr. Poppy. No, I'm sorry. <laughs> oh, it's got to be. <laughs> I, uh, I, I don't know, but I'm going to shoot for one point. Uh, his first name starts with a J. There you go. All right. I, 
It does. I don't know. You can't get a point for a I don't know. Uh, yes, you I can, can win an episode on that. Yeah. One, we all six, one out of 26 <laughs> chances there, right? All right. All I, ball. My ball I think we are going to have to go into a bonus because the answer was Jasper Lamar Crab. Oh, there were three names we could have. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I brought this up really to, to talk about... Uh, the man behind it all, Noah Cross, played by legend John Huston. Um, for you who don't know, I'm, I'm sure everybody does, John Huston was the director of The Maltese Falcon. It's one of the great first film accomplishments. How do we say that? <laughs> that was the most awkward way to say that. Uh, <laughs> one of the great accomplishments. <laughs> He'd done is, a good job. Yeah. <laughs> he done do a good job, but it was The Maltese Falcon was his first film. And it, it already shot him up. He's from a legendary uh, Hollywood family going back to the silent film era with, with Walter Houston, his father, um, and continued with Angelica. We're going to watch his last movie uh, next quarter. Yeah, by the way, uh, you know, uh, Jack Nicholson was dating Angelica Houston while they were filming this. I oh, did know that, yes. That was a little awkward as awkward. he's saying, what are your designs on my daughter when yeah. he was actually dating? <laughs> authentic, yeah. very authentic. Very, yeah. yeah, yeah, very good, yeah. Um, oh, right, in the in third quarter, I think it's third quarter, we're doing John Huston's final film, the adaptation of James Joyce's The Dead, oh. which is is a miracle. That movie is a miracle. It shouldn't work and it works beautifully. I, I would recommend it even higher than this, but... Um, since we're not doing that right now. Yeah, no, I okay. yeah, Have you seen The Dead? Have you seen that then, Ragnar? Uh, just the great. You guys haven't seen not The Dead. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I would say if you guys can, it's um, John Huston. He directed it from a hospital bed as he was dying. And it started wow, that's Houston. commitment. Yeah. yeah. All right, I'll, I'll check it out. Yeah. But uh, anyway, back to back to John Huston, the actor. Um, and... Uh, his performance and cross, as well as there's a bunch of threads we could pull on here. The the kind of nature of illusion, like why it has to be John Huston and not some other uh, gray-haired actor to play this role. Um, how he plays it, this idea of um, you know, the devil and the center of the ice of hell. A number of things we could look at. He has presence in this film. Like even when he's just sitting there eating at the table, like he has a command of not just the room, but the location. He just has that vibe the whole time, no matter what setting he's in. Even when he's kind of, I, I gotta say, it, it's not like he was beat because he wasn't, he wasn't beat. Like even when Jack oh, Nicholson's character thought he was gonna beat him, yeah. he still came back and mm -hmm. showed you, I'm still in charge. So he always was in control. Yeah, there's never a chance, right? I think he's never, you know, the and the thing he wants is the daughter. He wants his daughter. And he gets her. Granddaughter. Yeah, and he gets her. And that's really what he, that's the interesting thing. That's what he wants from Jack Nicholson's character. What he wants from Jake is him to find his daughter for him. Yes. He can't say that, you know. Um, and as he does that, hmm. uh, he puts on that innocent grandfatherly mm -hmm. as he hugs. No, mm -hmm. I just want to look like completely shrouding himself so that even the crowd would look at him and say, look at that grandfather trying to yep. hug his, 
I mean, masterful, absolutely mm -hmm. masterful. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And the granddaughter will never know because all she'll remember is him crying with her and shocked and he takes her away. Oh, what a horrible thing happened. Let me protect you. And then probably in a few months, he gets the water thing done. Like mm -hmm. he wins flat out. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely. This, that's mm -hmm. why this, I mean, this movie hits you hard. Yeah. Um, just real quick, I wanted to touch about kind of like this re this connection to the past uh you know houston was used in this movie because as a nod to the past this whole movie is a nod to the past he did a uh, maltese falcon which some people can say it's the first american noir or really hit it off the you know really made it popular um it reminds me of wild strawberries where ingman bergman does the same thing with the director of uh phantom carriage uh, mm -hmm. So it's kind of just like a, <clears throat> almost feels like the director finally gets to have his hero on the set, you know, and, mm -hmm. and he gets to be with John Houston, get his take on it, uh, on what's happening. I think it's a, a massive nod to the genre that he helped develop. Mm -hmm. And yeah. he's a very good actor. The, yeah. the, the scene where he is having lunch with 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 jake i thought was absolutely yeah it was brilliant good. yeah you can tell the you know he's got that you know he's an older man but you know that he is powerful from the way he handles himself but he's turning it on and off and jake is ready to get up and leave and he mm -hmm. says don't leave sit down let's let's talk about this by the way that the the movie is very famous for the Forget it, Jake. It's Chinatown. Quote. Mm -hmm. That is the second best quote in this movie to my liking because I like things that are a little more outrageous and funny. When um, when he says, uh, when Jake says to him, you know, I know you're respectable. You don't want your name sullied. And yes. he says, <laughs> of course I'm respectable. I'm old. Politicians, ugly buildings, and whores all get respectable if they last long <laughs> enough. <laughs> that's, that's genius. The pacing of that sentence and the, the way he just kind of rolled that out, I thought was fantastic. And I thought, um, and this is always a thing with me, right? Whenever you look back at who else could have played that role and you're just like, no way. My famous one is Carl Malden actually read for the godfather to play don corleone that's a true yeah. story and of course now you're like what <laughs> how could that be <laughs> and so um i've read ralph bellamy and other older actors at that time that are that all could have, have done that but the his presence um um and that was mentioned before that's it his presence the way he did that role was really really and he was not um he d was not the kind of wealthy person that looked like he was, you know, driving up in a Lamborghini and wearing, you know, fancy, you know, clothes. He was just, he was rich, but he was powerful. And that comes later when he says about the water and about the farms and the groves and saying, well, the way to work this out was simply, and he says it, this is just what we had to do. We're going to move the city limits to include that area. There, you know, thereby between that and having owned the water supply, uh, you know, um, authority and then selling it to the, you're left with this because that threads through the whole movie. His power, 
and the power of having water, the lifeblood of the city, that's some a common theme throughout the whole movie. And I think just John Huston just obviously knocked it out of the park. We have a weird situation here where we have, uh, not a weird situation, we've had these before, a bonus question because we have a tie here. Um, should we make it? I usually do three for the bonus. Three point three bonus. I usually and then, do. Yeah, in three general, and then, not because of any positions I have in this episode. <laughs> but then Nick, Nick, you would you would have a chance. Yeah, well, but in general, do, I always do three. Yeah. If we do Jeopardy rules, doesn't the least amount of points nope. gets? No, the, the person road. who asked the mm. questions about the least points no, gets booted off the show. Yes. <laughs> I'm just saying, in Jeopardy, it's been a long time. All in, all in. <laughs> all right. Nick, Nick would like to take the highest score minus his score and make yes, that yes. value <laughs> for question three. All right. So question three for three. Now, this is going to involve the meta text. So I don't even know to, what that means. I don't know what that means. Yeah. <laughs> Echo, echo. <laughs> it's time for a bonus question. How many Oscar nominees slash winners appear in this movie? And I'm asking for a number. I'm allowed Locked to do in. it in bonus question, in bonus round. Nominees and, and or winners. Yeah. Nominees and, and or. Winners. Oh. They don't have to have actually one. The answer might surprise you. Yeah. I'm locked in. Locked in. Locked in. Sorry. I don't know. Steve, what do you got? Three. Okay. Ragnar, what do you have? Two. Nick, what do you have? I already locked in three. Three. All right. And it looks like the episode is... Well, nobody nobody got it. Oh. Is it, is it one? It's Six. 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 Steve was closest, and so wait, Steve Nick gets, and Steve. Oh, Nick and Steve were close. This is the problem. Matter. Oh my goodness! Yeah. What a disaster! Wait, your sound went off, Ragnar. You're so mad. Your sound went off. Oh, oh, now the shirt's coming off. Oh, folks. Oh, it's terrifying. <laughs> I got the J. I got the J from the name, so I was close. You're there. closest, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Do you want to hear the list? Who it was? Yes. Yes, and congrats, Steve. Good job, All man. All right. It's it's kind of a trick question. So Jack Nicholson, Faye Dunaway, um, John Huston, uh, who was nominated for the Cardinal and also a number of times as a director. Anybody catch Burt Young? Bert Young. Paulie from Paulie. Rocky. Yeah, in the beginning. Holy God. Uh, here's another one. Diane Laud. Did anybody see her? Diane oh, Laud. Ida Sessions. Ida Sessions. Oh. Who's the mother of... That one I didn't get, my super bonus yeah. question. The mother yeah. of... What's her name from Jurassic Park? Who plays Ellie Sattler? Yeah. Uh, 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 um. Huh? I just forgot. Oh, uh, Laura Dern. Laura Dern. Mm -hmm. That's yeah, Laura Dern's Dern. mother. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. oh. And here's the one that you're going to slap Do yourself. I get the bonus questions? Do I get Nick's <laughs> for that? I just, I told you. <laughs> <laughs> and here's the one you're all going to slap yourself for. Who's the last person? Roman Polanski. Oh, oh right. Duh. Oh. Yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, we held his arrest against him. That yeah, was, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, uh, 
Oh yeah, he does appear in it. He yeah. does appear in it. Yep. Yeah, he's the man with the knife. Yeah, Kitty I was cat. just looking at man with knife. Kitty cat. <laughs> that was the trick there. Kitty cat. Yeah. Kitty cat. Lord, I'm 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 not surprised. I anybody didn't get. Um, the other one was so. What was the Charlie Chan connection? And I'll give you a hint. Mm. It was also the Seinfeld connection. I what? know it, Jimmy uh, Wong, J James yep. Wong. Yes, yep. he, Seinfeld. He was... Seinfeld. Yeah. Do you know mm -hmm. how many credits he? Had? I I actually looked. He's like eight hundred or something. It's oh, he's in everything. Yeah. I know who you're talking right. about and now. He, yeah. 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 He's in he like looks, everything. He looks the same in Chinatown and in that Seinfeld. And he's still alive. He's, he's, he's still yeah. getting yeah. credits. Yeah, he's in his nineties <laughs> and he's working. Yeah. He's got to be like in the most amount of movies ever. Yeah, but he was um, in the nineteen fifties. He was in the Adventures of Charlie Chan television series which is a okay, detective television series he played like the charlie chan's son or something he was like a, a kid in it um but yeah so that's that's another oh, how about action. that yeah so there we go there were there uh, are I mean, a lot of tv connections i'll, I'll just say really quick that this is some obscure stuff but the woman who played the secretary was the wife of abe vigoda in a tv show called fish Oh, where obviously, he, you know, where he used to go home all the time. And uh, Daryl Zwerlig, who played Hollis Mulray, mm -hmm. is in one of my favorite um, Columbo episodes. And it's, but some of these I love faces, it's just one episode, <laughs> just one episode, but he played, he's got it. Yeah. But a lot of these actors were doing the rounds at that time. Also, wow. Bruce Glover, um, mm -hmm. if you know who he is, and he was in a Bond movie, and his son is Crispin Glover, who was in. Yeah you know back to the future and, uh, and and all of that there were a lot of lot of connections but james hong yeah mm -hmm. um as soon as i saw of course it's one of his 600 credits and it's all i could think yeah. of is seinfeld after yeah. they had after they had left <laughs> yep yeah yeah 24 mm -hmm. though to be fair uh that was a 91 credit and his the time between that episode of seinfeld and this movie is shorter in duration than the time now to that Seinfeld I knew you episode. were going to say that. So, oh, yeah. Tom. But anyway. God, that hurts. Wow. He's not that old, Tom. Come on. <laughs> Don't make fun of Steve like that. <laughs> on IMDb, that actor has 449 credits. Okay. Yeah. Wow. It's a good life. It's time for Movie Rent. So my word was meaningless and I think the the Chinatown is a metaphor for that, for the essential purposelessness of of it all. Um, and I was wondering what people thought of what Chinatown means or what it represents in this world. Are we talking about the movie or the location in the movie? Oh, the term, the, or the way, yeah, the, the location, which is sort of becomes a term, right? It's mm -hmm. it, it literally at the end transforms some location into like almost like a state of being, right? A state right. of the world, yeah. Hmm. It does kind of translate to like, forget about it, or like, there's nothing you can do. There's something can can be done. Oh, it's beyond you know, just complicated. Beyond, mm -hmm. yeah, like you just have to accept it and, and mm -hmm. get away, move on. Well, we've already addressed this. Like Steve mentioned that my one of I think well, it probably is my favorite quote. Although I like that other one that Steve mentioned too forget it jake it's chinatown it's just like it's done like there's nothing you could do about it you just move on when they're in bed together and here he's at uh, she's asking him about his time as a cop he worked he worked in chinatown 
And there's a, they talk about how um, he tried to help someone, tried to prevent her from being hurt, and then he guaranteed it. Um, and everybody hates working there. Why? When, or where? In Chinatown. Why? Um, because you just, you never know what's going on. Right? It's just this place where you never know what's happening. And she asks, what did you do? And he says, as little as possible. <laughs> Which he then mumbles, if I'm, correct me if I'm wrong, because it was hard to hear, he mumbles that to himself when he sees her dead at the car. <laughs> Before they whisk him away and <laughs> say the famous line, he just says to himself, as little as possible. <laughs> and the cop says, what did you say? And then obviously the famous, so. Yeah. Ah, I, I'm not quite sure. I'm very interested in everybody else's take on this. <laughs> There's pieces there, but I can't put them together. No, it makes sense based on Tom's thesis here. Even before he was saying everything Mr. Giddy does here doesn't work. So in the end, everything he did in this movie is meaningless because in the end result, the old rich guy got what he wanted and he's got his, his granddaughter slash daughter and he got the water thing going on. Yes. Like, everything and all he did was spin his wheels yeah. this whole well, time thanks to him he got that stuff right thanks yeah. to Giddy. and hurt everyone yeah. that he cared about in the process i mean that's really she gotten away with it so yeah and that 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 moment the helplessness and the futility for me hits a peak just as john houston puts his arms around that girl and walks away and none of it met the futility of it brings together that whole, you know, foreshadowing of it before, for sure. But it's a story, but now you're seeing it. And it just, even with trying the best, and you kind of, in your heart, you know, like with the protagonist, you're like, you want something they're doing to work, and maybe this will go a good way. And it absolutely did not. It was absolutely, not only was it a futile attempt to make things better, the attempt to make it better made it considerably worse and yeah. and and that's a real humbling thing at the end of the movie what's great about this film is we're used to the main protagonist being built up overcoming adversity and succeeding against the corrupt you know wealthy guy in the end we did not get that we got the furthest from that and somehow we're still comfortable with that quote at the end leading us yeah. off. Well, like, there's, there's, there's no, no, that's why I'm bringing not, wine. Not I <laughs> no, what I mean by comfortable is that we still enjoy, we don't feel betrayed. Oh, okay. Sometimes yeah, yeah, yeah. in a movie like, you feel betrayed. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah that, that's more of what I meant. Like we, we accept it even if we don't mm -hmm. like that's it. That's a very good point. Yeah. You know, Nick, that's, I think that's the main difference between noir and let's say action. Because in action films, we're used to that. We're used to somehow against all odds, the, the, the hero wins everything. In noir films, it's kind of the opposite. We're, we're expecting everything to just go to hell at the end. But there's a glimmer of hope. The, the protagonist learns something or, or, or people who are enemies are friends, like at the end of Double Indemnity. Um, mm -hmm. Chinatown takes it one step further and just says no. It all sucks. Right. There's I, no silver lining. I, there's no lessons learned. I sometimes refer to that as a moral victory, right? So right. not a exactly. noir film, but Rocky loses, which perfect. Exactly. But he got the girl and he, he lasted the whole fight. There is no moral no. victory at the end of this. Mm -hmm. 
There's Boiler. No, there's, just kidding. <laughs> there's no China's silver lining. It's just a clean exactly. It's raining and you're wet and it sucks and your nose is cut. That's it. There's nothing. Exactly. There's no moral victory. Yeah. Chinatown is you're screaming Adrian at the end and she's gone. She mm -hmm. left. No one comes she's to dead. the <laughs> She died. She, Chinatown. She left with Mick. She lost. She left with Mickey. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, there's um, a a book I'll recommend, which I think has a good a good quote that I, I could draw in here. It's a, a edited edition called Philosophy of Film Noir, edited by Mark T. Conrad. And there's one chapter in there by Stephen M. Sanders on film noir and the meaning of life. And he pulls out this quote from Schopenhauer that nothing at all is worth our striving. Uh, human desire is a struggle against boredom resulting in moral wickedness. And I think that's the that captures this sort of meaninglessness that I think the word Chinatown ends up signifying. Right? It's nothing is worth our striving. We are just bored until we are wicked. Um, and that's it. I'd like to once again congratulate our winner of the week, Steve, in bonus round. Congratulations, Steve, though I got the same answer. Woohoo. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, acceptable response <laughs> for all the yeah, prize yeah, money yeah, and yeah, rewards yeah, you're getting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you can find more of our content wherever you listen to podcasts on our YouTube channel, Twitter at Talking Studios, and our website, talkingpicturestrivia.com. We're extremely grateful to all those who subscribe, like, follow, and leave a review. Oh, this was KJ's question. <laughs> Have you ever met someone named Noah? What? Why or why not? <laughs> KJ, what are you doing to me? <laughs> Let us know on Twitter, talkingpicturestrivia at gmail.com, or give us a call at 201-467-8679. Thanks again, Ragnar and Steve, for joining us today. Thank you very much. It was a pleasure being here. Always great to have you guys back on, and we probably will, uh, I wouldn't say force you to come back, but strongly recommend you join us again. <laughs> Be happy to come back. Anytime. Anytime. I love doing this. Great. You can find me on Twitter at Thomas Lehman 15. And I promise you the B-sides will be coming back. <laughs> We've been saying that for how many weeks? For a month. <laughs> it's just been a month. It's been less than a I month. Understand. So it's, it's okay. It's okay. It's fine. <laughs> um, but yeah, check them out if you have nothing better to do. Uh, and there you go. I can also be found on Twitter at the nicknamed. Join us next time when we continue our Batman discussion with Nick's recommendation, which is my recommendation, from 1989. Well, what do you know? Batman. Stay tuned for our first impressions of this film. Ding, 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 ding. Hey. Next week, we'll be discussing Batman from 1989. Tom, how was your watch? It was great. <laughs> I... Okay, Chris. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I've seen the movie before i think this is my no i don't think this is definitely my favorite batman movie i i'll be honest with you i do not like the christopher nolan movies or any other movie by christopher nolan but i especially dislike his batman movies i have a fun time with the joel schumacher ones even though their camp is a little it's even more than i can take and i have a pretty good tolerance for camp um the recent justice league stuff with ben affleck i think ben affleck's fine in the role but the the 
film is nowhere as near in quality as this. This is a gorgeous looking movie. I think the set direction is some of the, the best in all of the movies in, you know, in all of the Batman movies, but it's also some of the best I've seen in a film generally. I mean, it's beautiful set direction. Um, I think Michael Keaton is my favorite Batman because he's the weirdest of the Batmans. He's the hardest one to kind of fit in a box. I will say maybe my controversial opinion will be I'm not overly affectionate of Jack Nicholson's Joker. It's it's not the most graceful role that he's, he's done. Um, and I think the writing is a little rough. Apparently there was a script writer's a screenwriter's strike going on while this is going on. And so the, the script actually never received a final draft. So this is kind of a rough draft script that had to be filmed. But besides that, I really always have a very good time with this movie. I think it's it's pretty wonderful. Well, that was quite the first impression. <laughs> I'm I'm impressed by your impression. This is this this film came out in 89 and it's got to be the first film that I remember seeing advertisements for and getting excited for. I know this wasn't the first blockbuster. I know this wasn't the first movie that had posters and billboards and and you know ads in newspapers if people don't remember what those things are or you know things on like spots on TV, but this was by far the first movie at my young tender age of 7 or 8 where I remember seeing the ads and being influenced by them. And I, I know that's happened ever since. You know, you see the trailer for movie X and you're like, oh, that's gonna be great. I want to make sure I save the date and go see it. This was the first movie that I remember seeing that for. And even watching it now, being that it's what 30 years old, it's still fantastic. It's I I don't know that I'm gonna go and say that's my favorite Batman movie, but it is definitely up there top two, top three. Um fantastic stuff. I wouldn't put it as uh, as high up as you guys, actually, having just watched it again. Um, I mean, I, I definitely enjoyed it. Some of the Joker stuff was a bit, I don't know, too much like a play, you know, dancing around and stuff. Um, That's the 80s. Yeah, yeah, it definitely had that 80s, you know, the music, of course, come out with the boom box and everything. Um, the, so, but yeah, no, I, I mean... It, it definitely had its moments and, uh, you know, it, it was, I, I think it's actually w the first movie or one of them that, you know, that I actually remember seeing. The beginning, I couldn't really re remember too well. And I was like, wow, maybe I never even seen this. And then after like 15 minutes I, after that, I kind of remember the whole thing, like pretty, like I just saw it, you know, recently. Um, I thought Michael Keaton, you know, he was really good. The Joker, I, I feel Jack Nicholson's always overacting, you know personally, <laughs> uh, or at least between this and Departed, you know, I'm not, not as into it as, as some people. But, Thank you uh, for saying that. I think he's terrible in Departed. <laughs> Thank you, Justin. <laughs> exactly. I think you're perfectly right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was just saying, this guy is not Whitey Bulger-like in any sense. <laughs> Along those lines, I think this may have been one of the earlier, I guess, violent films that I saw. I just remember that this, and again, watching it now and seeing what really is out there from that time even forward that I've seen, this is not really that violent, but there is some killing and bloodshed and there is a lot of different things going on. But I think at that age, I was, again, I was born in the early eighties. I was still fairly young, just like Chris. And that's what 
jumped out at me. It was, it was like the first, I guess, darker film I saw. And, and I don't know if it's just because I have this bias, but this is my Batman too. Everything gets compared back to this film when I think of Batman. And I'm, I'm going to go into it more again when we talk about the movie in great detail. But this was the thing that I always check any other adaptation from, analyze it back to this one. 